We're going to wrap up our study through the month of December as we've worked our way backwards uh, through the Gospels, uh, beginning the month, talking about the Lord's Supper and the crucifixion and how the birth of Christ always is tied to His death and His resurrection. We've worked our way backwards through the month of December, talking about not only His ministry here on earth, Christ's ministry, then we talked about last week His baptism and the purpose for why He came. And this morning we're all the way back to the beginning, the Christmas story. Now you can read about the Christmas story, as many of you I'm sure have, whether it was at our, our candlelight service or in your own homes. You can read about the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 2. Now even into Matthew chapter 2 a little bit as you talk about the wise men. And, and we can read about the Christmas story and the events of the birth of Christ. But I want to look at a different perspective on the Christmas story this morning. In John chapter 1. You see, both Matthew and Luke give an account of what happened at the birth. This is who the parents were. This is their travels. This was the circumstances around his birth. This is where he was laid. This is who came and visited him. But the book of John doesn't give us any of those details. Perhaps John realized that Matthew and Luke had already written a great account and there was no need to repeat himself. But I tend to think that John wanted to focus on something different. You see, the, the birth of Christ, the story of Christmas, and the traditional readings in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 2 tell us what happened, but John wants to tell us why it happened, what the purpose of it was. And so we're going to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, but before we do, I think it's important that we, we look at a key verse this morning. So I'm going to begin actually by reading John 1, verse 14 together. So as you turn in your Bible to John 1, let's read verse 14, and then we'll go back and read all 18 verses. This is what John 1, 14 says. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's in this single verse that we hear about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a big churchy word, and occasionally I like to throw out big churchy words, not to confuse you, but the opposite. So that when you come across these words in other places, a Sunday school lesson or, or maybe a Bible study you're doing, you'll know what this word incarnation means. The word incarnation can be used uh, to describe any sort of deity, spirit, God, spiritual thing taking on flesh. So in Greek mythology, you might have an incarnation of one of the Greek gods coming and walking amongst the people in Greece. Uh, right? You might hear a story about a, a spirit taking on some flesh of some kind. But, but we know that there really in history has ever been one incarnation. Only one time has God himself ever actually taken on flesh. And to understand our passage this morning... To understand John chapter 1, we have to understand who they're talking about when they say the Word. This phrase, the Word became flesh, tells us exactly who the Word is. The Word is not simply your Bible in front of you, although that is described as the Word as well. The Word is not simply the voice of God, though that's described as the Word as well. The Word in John chapter 1 is, is God Himself. Not just his, his voice, 
but his very essence and being, putting on flesh and living among you and me. So as we read John chapter 1, we're reminded that the word we're reading about is that birth of Christ, Jesus himself. Who is that word? It is God the Son. So with that context in mind, let's read John chapter 1, and I want to read all 18 verses, and we'll come back and hit on a few, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? It's Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, with, uh, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not made Uh, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. By the way, as an aside, he's talking about John the Baptist, not the John who wrote this book. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. There's a lot of confusing verses in John chapter 1. Often when someone comes to me and says, I want to start reading the Bible. Uh, Where do I start? I usually send them to the book of John. By the way, I still would recommend that to you. If you're thinking of uh, a habit of reading through Scripture, a great place to start is the book of John. It's the account in the life of Christ. It talks about not only his ministry, but especially leading up to his death. It talks about his crucifixion and his resurrection. There's a lot in there about about being a light and being truth. and There's a lot of good things. but, But someone pointed out to me that when I place a new believer in John, they start in verse or chapter 1, and, and it's very heavy content right away. The Word, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the light. He, he is casting out the darkness. He has made everything, and He's in the world, but He made the world. And you read through it and you go, this is really heavy, confusing stuff. But John wants to set a precedent for his entire book to let us know several things about God and his coming to live among his people. And so this morning, I want to unpack not just that Jesus came, but why Jesus came. Why is the birth so important? 
Could God have done things without taking on flesh and blood? Could God have sent his son spiritually, the way he does several times in the Old Testament, to make atonement for our sins? Could Jesus have have saved us in a different way? And John tells us God himself had to do it. So let's look together at, at several truths that kind of build on one another as we talk about God living now among us. The first thing we have to understand is this. The nature of God is beyond humanity. The nature of who God is is beyond flesh and blood. We cannot pretend that Jesus and God is just our chum or our buddy, or as a t-shirt says, Jesus is my homeboy. It doesn't work that way. God is so far, the word is transcendent, that is apart from us, above us, different from us, that the thought of him being a human being is just beyond the realm of understanding. And John starts off by explaining this to us in John chapter 1. Look at these first two verses. In the beginning was the Word, okay, this Word, and the Word was with God in the beginning. This is is mind-blowing that first Jesus was there in the beginning of what? Of all of creation, before anything was made, before there was a creation, Jesus, the Word, was there. Now this hurts my head to think about eternity past. I can only think back about 37 years. I don't even remember those early few years, right? I, I can't even fathom... Uh, thousands of years ago, let alone billions or millions or eternity ago. I, I just can't wrap my mind around the beginning. But in that beginning, there was the Word. And that Word, Jesus Christ, was right there with God, God the Father, God the Spirit. Jesus was side by side. Before there was ever anything that existed, there was the Father, there was the Son, and yes, not written about here, but talked about later in the book of John, there was a Spirit. There there was this foundation of this, this triune nature of God in the beginning. And, in case there's any confusion, the Word, Jesus Christ, was, you can also write, is God. There is the Father, there's the Son, there's the Spirit, all of them God. There's one God, and it blows my mind to try to figure this out. Every once in a while I have someone say, can you give me a simple illustration of how the Trinity works? About how God the Father and God the Son are different, yet they're one God. And my answer to them is, if you're looking for a simple explanation of the Trinity, it doesn't exist. It's beyond the comprehension of our mind. The best way I can say it is this. How many gods are there? One. There is one God. And Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Spirit is God. But Jesus is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Son. They're all different and distinct, and yet they're one. And if your brain hurts, it should hurt. Because the nature of who God is is so beyond our comprehension and our understanding. The foundation is laid clearly here. Jesus, the Word, is so far beyond our understanding and our comprehension. He is so transcendent above humanity. But verse 3 continues. All things were made through Him, that is the Word, Jesus Christ. And without Him, not anything made, uh, without Him was not anything made that was made. So John is redundant here to prove a point. Jesus Christ was not created. 
That birth story that you're told and that you listen to and that you hear gives the impression that there was a time before Jesus existed. And then somewhere around the turn of the millennium, somewhere around zero, actually probably a couple years before, probably not December 25th, probably more likely March or April, right? Somewhere around that time, Jesus came into existence. No, John says, listen, Jesus made everything. He was there before that. And in case you're confused, there is nothing created or made that he did not make. The Word is the creator of all things. This hurts my head too because now you have the creator becoming creation. Now think about this for just a second. I don't have a good illustration for you here. I can't find another instance in history that a creator becomes his own creation. It's just, it's not possible. Think about it. This hurt my head. I started to wonder, was the flesh of Jesus created? But was the, the blood that ran through his veins a part of God's creation? And the answer is yes. There was a time that that flesh did not exist. And through the miracle of him growing in the womb and being born and growing in wisdom and the Bible says stature, his muscles developed. There was more muscle that wasn't there before. It was created. There was more of him in size than there was when he was born. He grew. This hurts my head to think that the creator created himself. I just, I can't fathom this. And that's the point we have to start with. The, the thought of God being man just doesn't make any sense. There's nothing we can compare it to in all of history. The nature of God is far beyond our comprehension. It's far beyond humanity. And so if we can just start there for just a minute, it should not be on our radar, separating ourselves from knowing how the story goes. It should not be in our radar that this amazing creator God would ever possibly stoop low enough to take on his creation, his flesh and blood. But that's, that's what's so remarkable about the next truth that we learn. The incarnation is the most unlikely event in history. We're two slides ahead, David. There we go. One more. The incarnation is the most unlikely event in history. And I don't mean that lightly. There's no reason, no, no possibility that God would come down to earth and put on flesh. He is so far out there that when it happened, it's no wonder that it took a multitude of angels to announce and that wasn't enough. This was earth-shattering, universe-shattering, mind-blowing event. You could talk about some amazing events throughout history, some, some crazy wars or battles. You can talk about scientific developments and discoveries. You can think about all of human history, and there is nothing that is nearly as surprising or unlikely than the event that Jesus Christ would be born and come to earth. We can explain that it happened. We can read the accounts. We can explain the result of what happened. But what I cannot wrap my mind around is why God would make the decision to become man. I, I just, my, my brain can't handle how it functions. And I've shared with you guys, when it comes to the disciples, I'm most like Thomas. We went through a study of the disciples, oh, earlier this year. Maybe it was even last year. I can't remember. It's been a little while. 
Now, we, we went through this study and, and we had tried to identify with each of the 12 disciples in some way. I'm like Thomas because I like to see and touch and feel things. I need to know. It's not enough for you to say, just have faith. It'll be okay. It should be enough. The Lord is working on my heart. But normally I go, I like to know how it works. I, I'm the one who, who wants to be able to take apart the washing machine because I'm curious where the belt goes and how it spins and, and why it does what it does. I need to see the details. And I'll be honest with you, when I think of the Creator God creating flesh and dwelling among people, my brain hurts, I can't do it. The washing machine is wide open and I still don't see the parts. This is literally the most unbelievable, unlikely event in all of human history and I will say in all of eternity. It makes more sense to me that God created you and I then he would come and be a part of his creation. But that's exactly what we read about in verse 14, didn't we? Verse 14 says, The word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's not just remarkable that he put on flesh, but that he revealed his glory to us. That glory that in the Old Testament killed people when they saw it. Put on skin, bones, flesh and blood walked among humanity and revealed God's glory. This is unbelievable. What's really, what's really disturbing is, is that we read through the Gospels and we realize that even as God himself is revealing himself in a physical, tangible, come put your hands on way, that the whole world should be able to now see the glory of God, they rejected it. They didn't care about it. Look at John 1.10. What does it say? He was in the world, and the world, by the way, was made through him, right? Everything was made through him, and yet the world didn't know him. This also is baffling to me, that God himself could come in flesh and blood and say, here I am, worship. And that his creation would go, I think we're good, we'll pass. I really get frustrated when I read this verse because I think if I lived in that first century and Jesus was walking on earth, I'd be one of those disciples following around. I'd be going and, and worshiping at his feet. I'd be, I'd be washing his feet. I'd, I'd be, be serving. And, and then I realize you and I beg every day, God, just show me a miracle. Show me your real. Give me something that I can see. I'm reminded that the nature of, of you and I See, even when we see God right in front of us, we don't recognize it. Even when God reveals in the most obvious ways, God could perform a miracle right now. He could, he could open up this roof and part it like the Red Sea, and He could send angels down to talk to each and every one of us. He could leave and He could close the ceiling up without a, a tear or a rip. And there would be people in this room right now who go, man, that was a weird dream I had last night. There would be people in here right now who go, the pastor had some really cool special effects this morning. Right? There would be people in here right now who would say, that was nice, but it didn't help me any. I mean, it was a cool thing that God did, but, but I really don't feel any better about it. God can perform any miracle he wants. He can even walk among his creation in flesh and blood, and you and I can still reject him. It's not about the miracle and the seen. And yet... God says, I'm going to go to the most extreme measure I can. I'm going to do the most unlikely thing in all of history. I'm going to reveal myself to you. 
the incarnation is, is so mind-blowing and so otherworldly. The fact that God is here among us doesn't make sense. And I go back to that question. I can't wrap my mind around why. Why would God do that? Thankfully, while, while I can't wrap my mind around it, John tells us. He shares with us the why it had to happen and why it happened the way it did. And what he tells us is this. God's presence among us bridges the gap between the creator and the creation. The gap that was created because of my sin and your sin. The presence of God among us takes our sin that has pushed us away and gives us an opportunity to be reunited with the creator. Why did God do it? Well, he could have sent an angel. But that would have bridged the gap between humanity and an angel. He could have sent his spirit, but that would have bridged a gap between a transcendent, impersonal, unloving God and his creation. But the way that he made man to be united again with God is to become one of us. To say, you and I are not just close in proximity, we are close relationally. The presence of God among us takes that gulf between us created by our sin and cinches it back together. Verse 12 says this, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not just his created possessions, but his sons and his daughter, his children. He didn't come to earth so that we could, we could get rid of our sins and we could go back to, to being some sort of robots in this submission to God that, that is unloving and unrelationally. He came back so that you and I could be his sons and his daughter. Verse 13 elaborates on this. It says, We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As we're saved... Not because of our ancestry, our blood. It's not because of what nation we were born into, like the Old Testament Israel or, or the United States of America. We were not saved because of our good works, that is the will of the flesh, the things that we decide to do in our own flesh and blood. We're not even saved because of our own desires, because we have this innate desire to be good somehow, the will of man. No, it says, and, and don't miss the gap of words there, it says, we were born of God. How are you a son or a daughter? Because Jesus Christ bridged the gap and made you the son or daughter of God. We're born of God and that's why we're called his children. The incarnation of Christ bridges that gap. It allows you as a sinful human being to be in the presence of your creator again. It allows you to to sympathize and empathize and, and know what Christ went through, and, and he knows what we went through. The writer of Hebrews says that everything we've experienced, every temptation, every pain, he knows and he's experienced. We can relate to him. He can relate to us. You know, a transcendent God looks down and goes, it must be hard to experience pain. I wouldn't know. I don't have a body. But an incarnate God says, I was crucified and I was beaten. An infinite God might say, it must be difficult for you not to know what the future holds. 
And yet, when Jesus came to this earth, he looks and says, I don't know the answers to those questions. Only the Father does. I'm waiting to hear his will. He put aside his infinite knowledge so that he could understand. A transcendent, otherworldly God says, I created you and you're my possession. But a flesh and blood, incarnate God says, you're my son and you're my daughter. You were born out of me. You are literally my children. Why is it that Jesus had to come to earth and take on flesh and blood? Because his presence now living among us bridges a gap that could only occur because of his physical being on earth. Here's what's amazing and blows my mind. For eternity past, Jesus existed as a spirit. No flesh, no blood, no pain, no suffering, no understanding. And yet, for eternity future, we see God the Son taking on flesh and blood. And when we get to heaven, we will get to put our hands where Thomas put his hands. (laughs) We'll get to put our arms around the neck of God. It'll be a tangible, hold my hand, grab my arm and shoulders and It will be a physical relationship with God for all of eternity. God didn't just live among us for 33 years, crucified, rose from the dead, and now he's gone. But forever, God makes his dwelling among you and me. We go back to to what John wrote to us in verse 10. All who call upon his name, all who put their faith and trust, All who say, God, I need you to bridge the gap that was created by sin in my life. All those who call on the name of Christ, he gives that right to be called sons and daughters of God. I wonder this morning if you can understand and accept God's love and care for you. If you can let it blow your mind for just a minute that the creator would would become creation so that he could make you his child. Can we pray? Father, we thank you so much for the incarnation that you, God, put on flesh. And Lord, we could spend years trying to study and figure out how that works or why that works or or what that means. Lord, let us just now understand that it shows your great love for your people. Father, we ask right now that all of us would cling to you as the one who forgives us and bridges the gap of sin. Father, there are those in here right now, those watching online, those who who are hearing these words and they're saying, God, I've never experienced a love like what John describes in John chapter 1. Lord, I want that and I need that. I call on your name. Father, in that moment, let it be a, a yielding to you as God, a begging for forgiveness of sins. And Lord, Let them be a new child this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you for the incarnation of Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.